these packets available, and I think all of you had a chance to receive one on your way in. Yours might be a different color because mine was a sample, but they've got lots of good things in here. Uh, my favorite one is a car freshener, air freshener, so somebody knows something about you and thought you needed this. This is really cool. This is called the tech-free zone uh, air freshener. There's some other tech-free zone things in here, and there's a lot of good resources in this packet, but that's one of my favorites because, you know, you can hang it up in there, and it gives you an excuse to say, while we're riding in my car, I'd like you to talk to me. While we're riding in my car, you know, we're not going to text and drive. While we're riding in this car, we're going to have a tech-free zone. Let's just connect a little bit. It's a, it's a pretty neat thing for uh, couples. It's a pretty neat thing for friends that uh, maybe uh, drive together to work. You know, if you've got a carpool, it's a great thing for parents and kids or grandparents and kids. Really neat to be able to say, let's just have a little zone, you know, cut out a little place in our life here where we're going to have a tech-free zone. And last week, we talked a little bit about, about this, about technology. We're going to expand on it today. I don't want you to get the idea that we're just against technology, right? We don't want anybody to think that, okay, you know, the church is against just one more thing of many things. We're not against technology, so here's what we talked about last week, a little review. We are not against technology, but we're for wisdom, right? We are not anti-tech. We are pro Wisdom, And so what we're really trying to do in this three-week series is develop some wisdom and some principles for how can we be guided by God in a world that's so full of technology. Now, there was a second thing that came from last week, although I didn't say it in these exact words, but you could also say this. We're not anti-technology, but let's control the tools, right? Like, let's master and rule over the the tools that we've developed that we use to get work done or for entertainment. We talked last week about Genesis chapter one and following when God made the world and he gave every creature a job, including people. And our job was to rule over the world well in, in a godlike way, in his image. And so we talked about the Tower of Babel and how they developed bricks and how the bricks got used wrongly and so they didn't control the tools that they were using. They got out of control and through doing that we had the Tower of Babel incident. So you could say it this way. We're not against technology but we want to control the tool, right? We want to make sure that we're using it well. Now about the brick. Last week we talked about this great advance in technology, the brick. Right By the people in the plain of Shinar, where Nimrod was setting up his city. And I certainly hope none of, you, none of you took advantage this week of the story of Nimrod in order to call names to each other. Although it might have been appropriate if you were you know, using a brick in the wrong way. But here's something that I just thought was so funny because we talked about last week about the brick. And about how from modern technology standpoint, brick is what you call a device that doesn't work right. Because it's an insult, right? Like it's, like it's old-fashioned, it's useless, it's just as good as a brick. Well, here are four or five uh, headlines from, from Google, and these are from last Tuesday, when Apple released the update to their mobile software, to iOS 10. It's this new, new software platform that they rolled out. So you can see the top one, it says, here's what to do if iOS 10 temporarily bricked your phone, right? Mass panic 
on Tuesday. iOS users that are updating their phones, suddenly they won't work anymore. They're frozen. They can't make them do anything. iPads are down. Phones are down. The world is disconnected. I think I even made a joke about this last week, like maybe God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are conferring in heaven and saying, you know what would be really great? Let's just like brick their phones and make them talk to each other for a while. And then on Tuesday, so I'm a prophet, and uh, we'll, just, we'll just go with that. Now, one more thing, and then we'll dive into some important things this week. Uh, this is something I think your kids are going to do in Bible class today, but maybe you remember using some of these. Anybody, anybody remember this? Yeah. All right. What are these? 3D glasses, right? Now, they've gotten a little bit more sophisticated uh, because this is the way we used to do this, and you'd get like maybe there'd be a... Uh, you know, something in a pack of baseball cards or a pack of gum or maybe in a comic book that you couldn't fully understand or you couldn't read until you put these on and then, and then it would like pop out of the page at you, right? Okay, and so now these glasses have gotten so much better in movie theaters. You get this real slick pair that, uh, that, are, that are made nice and you put them on and you can see a whole movie in 3D, right? And so the monsters or whatever, like they look like they're gonna get you, right? They jump right out because 3D changes your, your perception, your depth perception. And depth and depth perception is so important to what we're talking about today. Because a lot of times we, we kind of look at the world and we see just this flat thing. We just see lines. We just see uh, rules. We just see this flat world. And when we, put, when we get into this 3D, I put these glasses on. If I had a 3D image here, things start to, you know, to pop out at us. And we want to see the world that way. Like we want to see the world with definition, with depth, and with clarity. In fact, we want our technology to look more and more like the real world because all of you are in 3D. Like all of you have dimension. You're not just width and height, you're depth as well. Right, all of you in this room I can see in 3D, but I look at a screen, you look at these screens and all you see is flat. And so we do everything we can with our technology to try to make it look real. Even, even to wearing these glasses or to making those movies to where graphics in games and things are, are getting more and more and more realistic. And, and that's okay. It's neat that we can do that. But it tells something about what we want, something of what we're looking for that maybe we need to talk about this morning, which is that we're looking for something real that can be touched, that can be handled, and that can be tasted. We want an experience that's in 3D. And so we don't just want things that feel fake or cheap. We want life. And the question today is how can we develop some wisdom that will help us have real life and have it in 3D? And so we're going to talk about three uh, D statements today. Three D statements, right? And these are three statements that start with the letter D. And so I'm going to have you practice them with me before we look at our first scripture in Mark chapter 1. So say this with me. Disconnect to connect. You ready? Disconnect to connect. All right. One more time. Disconnect to connect disconnect to connect. Okay, here's the second one. Deepen internal values. Deepen internal values. All right, again, disconnect to connect. Deepen internal values. And here's the last one. Develop external boundaries. Okay, one more time. Repeat after me. Okay, you ready? Disconnect to connect. Deepen internal values. Develop external boundaries. All right. You sound like you kind of believe it. Let's talk about it. 
Mark chapter one. Here's where we're gonna start today as we follow Jesus through two different stories in which he tries to impress on his followers and potential followers what it would look like if they could learn to have a deep internal value that guided the boundaries of their life and helped them to connect more deeply with God. So Mark 1.35, and we're gonna read along here and follow this story, but we're gonna just get the first verse right now. Very early in the morning, when it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Okay, so this is Jesus's morning devotions, right? Many of you have this. Maybe in your favorite chair by the window or on your porch with a cup of tea or coffee or uh, maybe you listen to your devotions, uh, like to your audio Bible on the way to work. I don't know, but many of you have something like this in your life. And that's good, a morning devotion, some type of devotional time. What you maybe don't remember, maybe some of you do, is that the day before this, Jesus' life was just full of important ministry. Mark chapter 1 opens with some energy, right? And so the Gospel of Mark is kind of known for being sort of short and getting to the point. And we even think that it was written by Peter through Mark. This is probably Peter's version of events through Mark. And so they get right to the point, and as they get to it, uh, they get into this day of ministry Jesus had where on, on a Saturday, on a Sabbath, he goes to the synagogue and he teaches there, but he heals a guy in front of them, and there's this conflict. So he heals this guy, and then he goes to Peter's home. Remember, Peter might have been the one who influenced Mark to write this. And Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and so Jesus heals her, and she feeds them dinner and everything, and then the people start showing up at the door. All these people come, right? And it's still Saturday. This is Saturday evening. And so after they eat, all the people that are coming to the door are bringing other sick people because he had healed someone at a church that morning. And so they all show up, you know, at Peter's house, which probably wasn't very big, and they're, and they're crowding around, and they're bringing all of the other sick people, and they're asking Jesus to heal the people. And so he's doing it. Jesus is healing, he's casting out demons, it's a long day, it's an exhausting day. It must have been just exhausting to have all these people respond. And then uh, at some point they must have gone to bed and people went home for the day because Jesus had this moment early in the morning to sneak away. So they had some rest and Jesus gets up and he goes off to pray. And the question here is, is what is Jesus doing? Well, he's having devotions, yes, but he's also disconnecting to connect. Think about this. While he is in prayer, Jesus is reevaluating. Okay, he is he's disconnected from the ministry for a little bit, all of the press of the people. He's disconnected and he's reevaluating based on his direction and not his current demands. And so Jesus has all kinds of work he could do. There is so much in front of him at this first town. He could have stayed for days, maybe stayed for weeks and continued to heal. He could have set up shop. They would have probably built him a little, you know, ministry hut of some kind where people could come and see, you know, Jesus the healer. He could have just planted and the business would have rolled in. And some of you know how this feels like uh, whenever you just like open up your phone for a second and the little red measles dot that shows up above every one of your apps, it just, it looks like your phone has a disease. And you're like, emails, you know, 3,200. I really haven't been dealing with my inbox for a while. 
or you've got all these texts, you've got missed calls, the Facebook app, the Instagram app, every one of your social medias, your LinkedIn, everybody, and you're like, I could, I could literally sit here and manage this phone you know, and be my own personal assistant for the next probably 32 hours, and I still wouldn't catch up with all of it, but I wouldn't do anything in the real world. Some of you know what that feels like. There's always plenty to do, but Jesus is disconnecting for the sole purpose of evaluation, to pray with God and to, and to think about, should I stay here and do all of this work, or should I keep going there somewhere else, which is our purpose, right? Which is the purpose that I've got. And so it's a here or there thing. Should I stay here and do all of this or should I disconnect to go there to get to a place I wanna be? So you have to let go of something to get to something else. You have to disconnect to connect. And Jesus is evaluating this and, uh, and here's, here's what happens next in the story but we're gonna go somewhere else before we come back to it. As Jesus is disconnecting and praying with God, it, it either changes or it reminds him or it deepens in some way the value that he has that says, it's more important that I leave some of this ministry to go somewhere else. It deepens his internal value to do something else. And we're gonna come back to what that is in a second. But for a minute, I wanna take you kind of through another very familiar story that you've heard many times in Mark chapter 10 about deepening internal values. This is an example of when Jesus teaches a potential follower how to challenge yourself to go deep in your value system. Right? If you have a moment where you're disconnected, you have a moment of evaluation, you're asking yourself this question, how am I really doing? Is this really worth it? Am I plugged into the right things? When you get to that moment of evaluation, just like the rich young ruler in Mark 10, Jesus has a challenge for us. So here we go. In Mark 10, Jesus challenges this rich young ruler to give up what is controlling him. And you remember from a week ago, we talked about being good rulers, good helpers in God's world, ruling over the world he made, control the tools, right? And so we want to do that well, but the question is, what is controlling me? And Jesus helps this young man identify this. So starting in verse 17 of Mark 10, here's the rich young ruler. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Sometimes this guy gets vilified because of the choice he makes at the end of the story. But there is something in this young man where he is evaluating his life and he really wants to know, like, am I going to make it? Like, am I doing it right? Am I doing good? Am I doing good enough? And so he's on his knees, showing some humility. He's before Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, so what do I need to do? Give me some you know, rule here. Give me something I can do. Give me a task. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know, hint, hint. What I'm about to say to you are the words of God. You think I'm good. Only God is good. So pay attention. Divine commands coming right here. You know the commandments. Okay, this is what Jesus says to him. You know the rules, right? You know the commandments. Now, what are they? Well, start with the Ten Commandments, right? There was lots in Judaism, but here's some of them. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. That means lying, right? You shall not defraud or cheat. Honor your father and mother. And so Jesus says, 
you know the rules, you know the commandments. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. You know, I've followed them, I've done them. Here's what he is not yet understanding. All rules, like the commandments, are boundaries, right? Think about this. All rules are boundaries. You've got a rule. Don't commit murder. That's a boundary line. Don't cross it. But not all boundaries are rules. Anybody who's ever done or taught some math could kind of think of maybe an example from mathematics. Math kind of likes to take over everything. They take over the alphabet, and they call it algebra. They take over all the shapes, and they call it geometry. But it's all under, you know, this this overlord called math. And so when they talk about shapes, they, they, they talk about things that like all of these are this, but, but not all of these are this. Okay, so here's an example. Uh, all squares are rectangles, right? But not all rectangles are squares. Okay, so there's an example. And it's the same with this. You could draw a line and say, here's the rule, do not cross, and that makes a boundary. It's like a fence you shouldn't cross. But there are boundaries that are not rules, and this is what Jesus is going to try to teach this guy. There are certain things that you can choose to do that is not a rule. It's not a divine command. It's not for everyone, right? Not every family is going to make the same technology decisions in their home. Some will say at night all the phones go in the parents' bedroom and they get to kind of look through them and that's the rule in our house. Some are going to say we're going to install software on all the devices that monitors our use. Some are going to say you don't even get a phone until you get to a certain age. You know, it's been like this for generations where different families have different rules. Some will say this is the age you can wear makeup and date and others will make it two years later. And so families kind of know this. Boundaries are, are not the same as rules, but here's the one Jesus is pointing towards with the young man. He wants him to create a boundary that isn't in the commandments. Jesus looked at him and loved him. This isn't Jesus saying, let me make this as hard as I can on him. Let's really test him and try to, try to get him. Let's make it hard for this rich guy. Jesus loves him and wants him to develop this boundary. And so he says to him, the truth, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. Some people have spent a lot of their life wondering, like, do we all have to do this? Maybe you do and maybe you don't, I don't know. I don't think there's any command for the Christian that says you have to go sell everything and give all of it to the poor because that would be a rule. But for this young man, this is a boundary that Jesus wants him to consider. Jesus wants him to dive deep into developing a value and to say, I won't be controlled any longer by my wealth. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. If you just had this little part of the story without everything that came before, you might think, that doesn't sound like how I would feel. Just look at this. He went away sad because he was so filthy rich. You know, if you just had that snippet as a headline in the USA Today, you'd be like, what is going on? There must be a catch. He went away sad because he was so rich and they taxed him 70%. That's why he was sad. But Jesus is saying he went away sad because the thing that was controlling him had such a grip on him. 
It was so much embedded in his life. It was part of his life. He couldn't give up the control of this thing, at least not at this time. And so he went away sad because the one thing Jesus asked him to do was to create a boundary that not everybody needed based on a deep internal value. The rich young ruler is a good rule follower. He has shown us that he's excellent at following the rules. I've kept all of these commandments since I was a boy, but he's not yet a good boundary setter. And this is the challenge for you and for me. And it's a challenge for me. You know, I make mistakes with boundaries by not creating them or by breaking them, and I know you do too. You think, yeah, I will go home and I won't answer the phone and I won't answer the emails. I'll spend time with my spouse. I'll spend time with my kids. And then, oh, this is really important. You know, forgive me. There's this one. You're kind of breaking your own boundaries. It happens to all of us. But each of us, as we disconnect, we take some time with God and we think about, like, what are my most important values? How am I going to live life in 3D? How am I going to be with the people that are really there and see the people that can really be touched and tasted in, in breadth and height and depth as well? How can I do that? We set up the boundary that reflects our value. And this guy isn't good at that yet. So say this with me again. Disconnect to connect. Deepen internal values. Develop external boundaries. Okay, so we're back to Mark 1, and this is where we're going to finish. Remember, Jesus, this whole time where we left him, has been off having his morning devotions. He's been praying, and he's been reevaluating. And in Mark 1, 36, we'll pick up here, and this is Simon. This is also Peter. So, again, the guy who influenced, we think, Mark to write this is telling about himself coming to Jesus that morning. Peter got up, he left his own house where his own wife and his mother-in-law presumably were still there probably making food for another big day of ministry. I mean, you would think if you know any women in your life, a grandmother who loves to feed people, that they probably stayed up all night, right? Peter's wife and his mother-in-law were probably up all night and they were like, man, the crowd's today, right? So what are we gonna do? Is it gonna be finger foods or sandwiches? You know, like they've been all night, they've been preparing and getting ready. And Jesus is gone and everybody's panicking. The town is wondering where he is. Probably his wife, uh, his, Peter's wife and mother-in-law, you know, they're all looking for Jesus. And so Peter feels responsible or something like that. But he just comes to Jesus and he's got all his companions, whoever they are, maybe the disciples, whoever they are. And here's the funny thing. In Luke, this story is also recorded and in Luke, it says all of the people from the village came out to look for him. So maybe this is what's going on. Peter is the tip of the spear, and the whole village is stretched out behind him. Over one shoulder is his wife, and over the other is his mother-in-law, and behind that are like the other 11, and behind them are all the people, and they're all coming out to look for Jesus. And Peter says to Jesus, everyone is looking for you. See? Here they are. We're ready, you know, Put on your God-sized ministry gloves and pull up your boots and here we go. We've got sandwiches for everybody and we want you to heal everyone. And, and the people who were looking for Jesus, probably led by Simon and his companions, in the NLT, it says this. It says they were begging Jesus not to leave. And the people, it says this in the message, this is the way they translate this word, it says they were clinging to Jesus. And so, you know, maybe we get this sort of unemotional version of the story in our minds where it's not really that hard for Jesus to say no because after all he's the son of God and he's been out praying and everything and he says okay guys disciples it's time for us to get up quietly early in the morning and go to another town but that is not what's happening here 
People are grabbing hold of Jesus. They're grabbing hold of his cloak. They're surrounding him. They're, they're on their knees. They're begging him, please, I've got one more aunt. She's on her way. She'll be here this afternoon. Like, please, we've got three more lepers that are coming in from out of town. You know, we've got all these people. Please don't go yet. This is like the same type of pressure that you and I feel every time we've allowed our tools to control us. And we think, man, I've got so many responsibilities now. You know, I owe it to my DVR that I watch all the shows I put on there. Did you know that's an actual condition? Did you know that doctors can actually you know, meet with somebody and evaluate them and give them therapy for a condition that is dependency on your DVR because you feel guilt for not following through watching your shows? And so Jesus has all of this work to do and the people are clinging and begging and he says this, let us go somewhere else. You know, not here, I've got to disconnect so I can get there. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also because that is why I have come. Jesus says, I didn't come to take care of every task of healing. Think about it, there will always be sick people. Jesus could have healed everyone in the world, gone to the cross a few years later and what would have happened the next morning? Sunday after the resurrection, Monday morning comes and what would have happened? Broken arms, cancer diagnoses, all of the brokenness of the world would have set in again and he'd achieved nothing permanent. And so he says, I need to go and preach. That's the direction that I've come for. I've got to disconnect from just doing some of the work to do the preaching and visit the villages that I came to do. This is what I need to do. And so I want you to write this in your bullet and this is really important. If you're taking notes today, write this down somewhere, just scribble it in and don't forget this. There are things that are wrong and sometimes rules and boundaries have to prevent things that are wrong. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, you know, he says, do not murder. That rule is there because murder is wrong. Sometimes rules have to control the chaos. Right? But there's also things that are good and things that are best. And so rules can help control the chaos. You know, they can kind of, they can curtail all of the things that people would do to hurt each other, but they cannot change the heart of a person to make them want to do good. There is no social policy, right? There's no laws that can make people Christian. There is no family policy, there's no rules in your house that can make your children be Christian. There are no personal boundaries that can make anybody be Christian or more like Jesus or be a disciple of Jesus. But you can have rules to control the chaos just long enough so that people get a chance to create boundaries. They get a chance to, to not make the big mistakes that have all the consequences and to think, now that I'm not stuck in that, you know, what about the good and the best? And how do I evaluate these? How do I go deep with internal values to create boundaries that are personalized to me so that it will keep my heart loving God more each day. Maybe for you it's that you have a lot of money and you need to give more of it. Maybe for you it's that you spend a lot of time on your Facebook and you need to do less of it. You need to set a boundary that says this is my time frame. I get one hour a day and no more. My parents did that with us when we were kids. Why couldn't we do that for ourselves if we're evaluating with God where I'm at? And so this is kind of the end of the matter. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me if you would Everybody on your feet. We're going to say these three D's together one more time, and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer. So everybody, after me, 
Disconnect to connect. Disconnect to connect. Deepen internal values. Deepen internal values. And develop external boundaries. Now let's pray together for a moment. God, our Father in heaven, we come to you asking that you would help us to evaluate in our own hearts, each one of us, what would be best for my life and how I handle the technology around me. Uh, maybe there are some of us here that have been breaking rules, actually doing things that are wrong with technology. And Father, convict and use your Holy Spirit to set those things straight. Many of us, Father, all of us have used technology in some way that just isn't for the best. Sometimes it controls us, and we want your Holy Spirit to be in control of our lives. And so we ask you, God, please help us to develop deep values and to put up the right boundaries, the ones that you have, have seen in advance that we would need, the ones that you've drawn specifically for me. Help me to put up the boundaries in my life that will help my heart love you more. God, help me to connect to those around me. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, and all of us say, amen. Now, I've got one more slide that I'll show you here. Normally, uh, go to that. It's a different presentation, but to that slide, thanks. Normally, we give just an analog invitation, right? Invitation in 3D. Like, you have to come forward, or you have to go to the back and talk to somebody, or pray inside your heart. But today, we're going to give you a digital invitation and an analog invitation. So because this is part of our whole teaching series, we've got some people that have set up nine weeks worth of digital tips that you can read along with and follow along with if you're accepting the challenge to develop exterior boundaries that match your internal values. All you have to do is follow the instructions on this screen. We'll put them up again after we're done singing the invitation song, but you just text this word to this number and for the next nine weeks you will get this digital response to the end of the sermon. Now, for those of you who could use some prayers of the church, encouragement from our shepherds, please still feel free to come to the, to the front or the back as we stand and sing. God is so good.